is Two Minutes About Time with Luke Allen and Robert E.G. Black, the podcast that takes a look at the film About Time, two minutes at a time. I am Richard Curtis, and I hope you enjoy it. And if you don't, well, you can just travel back in time two minutes and listen to something else. I'm on your host, Luke Allen. I'm joined, as always, with my co-host, Robert E.G. Black. Hello. And with our special guest for this week, Darren Brown. Hello. Hi. So, to those few listeners who may not know who you are, um, how could you introduce yourself to them, please, Darren? Hello, listeners who don't know who I am. I'm Darren. I am, uh, yeah, I I'm a magician, mentalist, I think is the technical word for it. I'm, uh, aside from shows and TV and things, I'm interested very much in topics around happiness. I wrote a book on that a little while ago, and what it is to kind of live well and that philosophical tradition, which actually is one of the reasons why I really like this this film. And, uh, yeah, so that's me. And I've got a ghost train. I don't quite know what I do. I've got so it's a weird, wide range of things, but whatever brings ghost train and flourishing and virtue ethics together, I'm, I'm somewhere in the centre <laughs> of that. I've got to say, I admittedly only seen little clips of stuff you'd done until once you'd given us the shout-out, and then I was like, I'd better check I'd out better, your stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I really enjoyed it. I think often I avoid... Like a lot of because of like my Christian faith, I'm always on the edge at like mm. magic and some of those sorts of things. But the way that you explain psychologically how things work, it's just fascinating because you're not claiming to have any magic oh, yeah. powers. You're no, 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 you're explaining not. the way that people work, and even as like as a someone who just like I write a lot of short films, like to mm. to know how to hear so much about how people work, it's just fascinating. Oh, well, lovely. How will I, that's just nice. That's nice to know. Well, thank you. Sorry you've had to go down that wormhole before talking to me. There's loads <laughs> of it there. Well, it was, it was a very fun wormhole to go down. Um, I can't remember how many specials I've watched in the past week, but Oof. they've been fun. It's 20 years of stuff. This yeah. is actually my 20th year on Channel 4 this year, which is just ridiculous. So yeah, it's a big old wormhole. So, do you remember much of what your first experience was with About Time? Um, I, think I just sort of stumbled across it, as, as I'm sure is the case for a lot of people. Uh, I still don't quite understand why it's slightly under the radar in terms of, you know, the, you probably, you, you'll have yeah. better answers to all these than me, because you'll, you'll know, obviously, a lot more about it. Um, but I, I, I don't even quite know what it was, because I'd met Rachel McAdams, and I don't know whether that was before this or after it. I think it must have, it was before it. So I met her before... And then I realised I hadn't really seen any of her films, so um, uh, I thought I should start watching this. The first one I, I saw, and I just, <laughs> I, I just fell in love with it. And then, like all special things, it's nice not to return to it too often. So over the last probably six, seven years, I've only seen it three times. And the last time was the other day, which is what ended up how we how we stumbled across each other. Which is, yeah, it, it is weird how this one has gone sort of unnoticed because, I mean, I came across it as a Richard Curtis fan. Mm. Like, um, I'm just a fan of all that comedy because I feel like all of his films almost feel like a warm hug. Yeah. So I, I love all of that stuff and I came across this. Didn't mean much the first time. I rewatched it a couple of times. Mm. And then next thing I know, it basically became my favourite film. And I yeah. just love it. Which often being part of like the film community, obviously only just, but in a lot of these events, I'm going with other amateur filmmakers and stuff. People are always going on about you know, foreign directors and other things. And often I'm laughed at for saying that About Time is my favourite film. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's, it's, it gives me that feeling of comfort that other films don't. Well, I, I was amazed when I sort of um, thought I'd better dig around online a bit before before doing this because I, I 
just to sort of get my head around the film and remind myself about it. I was amazed to find a couple of quite scathing, <laughs> scathing reviews. I just, In fact, that's, that's part of what we've just started doing as of right. last week, is that one of our guests suggested that every Monday we take a look at a bad review. So we'll mm-hmm. do that later today and that's a great read idea. out one of the bad reviews. Incidentally, Richard Curtis is one of the listeners of this show. Oh, Richard, hello. If he's got this far. <laughs> no, <it's really laughs> that's amazing. I'd be so flattered if someone was doing a podcast on something I'd done. At this level of forensic detail. I mean, he must be, he must be so pleased. What a nice Robert, thing. that's the next show then. <laughs> yes, yeah. please do, yes. <laughs> uh, so we're looking today for this Monday episode mm. at 86 and 87, which is the continuation of Tim's conversation, well, with Kit Kat just after they've travelled back in time, which as a concept confuses me a little bit. Like I understand and we've talked a lot about last week about the importance of this sequence and mm. you know how it prepares us for the darker things that are going to come later on in the film but i don't know the the idea of him taking kit kat back in time it, it just complicates things a bit for me well it, it bumps us a little bit doesn't it because we don't know because he hasn't done it before so we don't know that you can just hold someone's hand and you know and jump with for a start so there is a slight a slight bump of how does he know that's going to work because we haven't been told that and then yeah, after all that, I'll tell you what it, it reminded me of. I, I did a weird thing once in one of my shows, which you may have stumbled across down the wormhole, um, of hypnotizing a guy in the middle of the night. Um, oh, actually, no, no, actually, this was sort of in the morning. He goes out and gets his photograph taken in a photo booth, which we built, and it, it hypnotizes him and puts him to sleep because he's very suggestible. I've and, seen clips of this, but I haven't seen them before. Okay, so he, so he falls asleep and isn't going to wake up until I wake him up. So we bundle him out of the the um, the photo booth, stick him in the back of a truck, take him to Heathrow, fly him to Marrakesh, and wake him up in an identical photo booth in the middle of the big square in Marrakesh. And what was what was interesting watching it? This happened in a few of the things that I've done where people have been put in like very extreme situations. Is is how people react in real life uh, compared to how they react in in films? So you know, I've done stuff with you know zombies and. And just seeing, mm. seeing the level of, um, just witless <laughs> sort of panic and, uh, you know, that, that goes through people in a way that never really quite happens in film because it's just a level of sheer adrenaline. What was interesting with the guy in Marrakesh, which is sort of analogous to the, to, uh, Kit Kat in the, uh, cupboard was, so we're all watching on, you know, on the sort of hidden camera thing from the truck elsewhere. So we're seeing his reaction. So he wakes up and he hears that the noise is different as she does from the cupboard and he sort of looks and where he's expecting to be somewhere in London, he's now like in the middle of a sort of a like a newsagent's but clearly somewhere in North Africa. So he has a look and he goes back in and he just waits for ages. And he has another look and puts his whole head out and goes back in and waits for ages. Then he steps out and goes back in. Then he steps out and steps out of the shop into the square and then goes back in. And there's a sort of like, you can see how the person's slowly adjusting and going back to their place of safety again and again. And it just reminds I was thinking of that when I watched this scene because, of course, you know, who knows how, I'm probably, you know, in an unusual position that I do know how people react to these, to these, uh, weird things, <laughs> as opposed to just going, oh my god, and, and, and walking out. So that was kind of, um, that was fun, because it, it, it reminded me of that. Does it bother, is that why it troubles you? Does it trouble you because of the slight question of how does he know that's okay, or do you mean in terms of yeah, the... Yeah, sort of. It's, yeah. it's that, and the fact that, I mean, obviously it's good to have the whole plot thing we've got coming up, um, later on with the, with the baby and all of that, but then yeah. it's like, if she can go back forward, and remember instantly 
that she's with Jay, why doesn't he know that he's got a different child? Hello, it's Robert from, well, the present, doing a little audio cleanup before the episode goes up, and I realized I'm not sure we directly answer Luke's question. You'll see in a moment there's a little confusion about what minutes Darren got from us, and, well, I'll let you hear that when it happens. So, I don't know if we ever really answer Luke's question. In fact, I think it came up again in some of our special episodes in the last week. Because uh, last week's show we do a sort of group commentary and some revisiting old scenes stuff. And I think the question came up again. Why does Kit Kat immediately remember that in the interim she's with Jay? But Tim gets all the way home without remembering that he has boy posing instead of posing. And I think I solved it. As I'm listening to Luke's question again, I think I got it. And this takes me forward, and I'll explain that in a second, to Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. The key to that movie, their removal of memories, is they grab the emotional core of each memory, they pull it out, and then your brain kind of rewrites the memory around it. Without the emotion there, you lose the details. And I think the key here is, consider the two realities. Tim has been a father for a year. He loves Posey. In the new reality, Tim has been a father for a year. He loves boy Posey. There isn't much difference. There's not even a big, like, father to a son versus father to a daughter thing just yet, because it's only been a year. Posey or boy Posey haven't grown up enough that the difference in Tim's feelings have changed much, or would be different in this new timeline. So he's thinking, as he's on his way home in the train and walking, I just helped Kit Kat. Good for me. Doing great. Life's going to be great. My life's already good. Going home. He doesn't know there's anything different until there's something different, which is literally seeing boy Posey. Meanwhile, in Kit Kat's reality, she has spent the last, what is this, three years now? I forget. I figured out the timeline in a different episode. Miserable. She got together with Jimmy at the New Year's party. She moved to London and had job after job and didn't enjoy it there. In this new reality that was just created there in the cupboard, in just those few moments, what was it, two minutes, left the cupboard, went downstairs, punched Jimmy, left. That's it. The emotional core of her memory in these years since has been completely altered. With Jimmy, she was constantly miserable, she was drinking, she was unhappy, she was breaking up and getting back together, breaking up and getting back together over and over again, losing job, getting job, losing job, getting job over and over again. We can assume in this new timeline, which makes it tragic later that Tim has to destroy it, she was more stable. She got together with Jay, and she has something closer to what Tim and Mary have, a stability and a happiness. That, of course, when she looks in her mind for the change, because he just told her they changed history. She's thinking about that. Tim isn't. And so by thinking about that, she can tell it's a very different because the emotional core of those different memories is a completely different emotional core than used to be there. So yeah, Kit Kat would remember that she's with Jay far more readily, far more easily than Tim would remember that he doesn't have Posey anymore. He's not thinking about it. He's thinking about Kit Kat. And he, in the present, has still been a father for a year, having a great time. Tim. Now before I let you get back to the show, Having mentioned Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, figure this is as good a place as any to insert the Lemming Drop Studio Tour commercial. So you can hear what shows I have other than this one, because I don't always mention them by name, and what shows I have upcoming, as well as some that Luke has. Clytus, I'm bored. Nothing better to do. What plaything can you offer me today? I, and I can't sit on my couch and watch TV... Or think that the internet's going to inspire me. What would you do if you were stuck in one place and every day was exactly the same and nothing that you did mattered? 
Do you like movies, music, and the minutiae of everyday life? Are you looking for a new podcast? Are you tired of the same old banter? Then Professor Robert E.G. Black is your guy. Just another American who saw too many movies as a child. Come on down to the Lemon Drop Studio Tour and you'll find The Groundhog Day Project, a daily blog about movies, Michael Myers Minute, looking at the classic slasher, Dave Made a Minute, manipulating other podcasters into talking about a movie they've never seen, Annihilation Minute, dense with research, detail, and musical illusions, The Room Minute, along with Allison Liddell, picking apart a modern classic, Mandy Sucks Minute, a podcast fueled by hate, two minutes about time, along with Luke Allen, reliving a time-traveling rom-com, and Cock and Bull Movie Talk, getting sidetracked by my favorite films, plus Professor Sarah Black's Life is a Playlist, examining life, two top Top 40 hits at a time. And coming soon, Luke Allen's Christmas Actually, obsessing about love actually, one day at a time. And Five Minute Arrival, along with Sarah Black, translating the 2016 sci-fi hit. What kind of movie are we going to see? Well, we'll see... Danny, don't plan too much. It may not come out right. No, you can plan ahead. 2021 Lemming Drop Studio will have Luke Allen's Minutes of the House and my own Minutia Ex Machina, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Minute, and Groundhog Day, Minute by Minute. So come on down to the Lemming Drop Studio Tour and let's talk movies. Your continued patronage is very, very welcome. Lemming Drop Studio Tour is a Facebook group. You can support Lemming Drop Studio on Patreon. You can follow the individual shows on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Check out LemmingDrops.com for links. Lemming Drops. And now... On with the show. And, like, obviously it's such minor things because I love this film. And it's like, you know, as I said last week, it's like being in a, being in a big cafe full of ice cream and saying, that's my least favourite ice cream. I still love it. Yes. It's just this yeah. part. Just So, say, say, hang on, say that again because I've, I've missed something then in this. What, what You're saying there's like a little bit of a logical bump here, is there? So what, so what is that? She's going back in the cupboard for the first time. Right, the only time. Uh, so they've, yes, they've just gone back in time. To the... uh, she's now back there, and as soon as she's out, like, there's a line even in a second, when she realises it's Jay that she's with. Ah, so hang on, hang on. I'm not looking at those clips. I think we're talking about slightly different clips. The clips I've got are Kid Cat in the hospital, and then them going into the cupboard, and she goes back to the New Year's party. So I don't, I haven't progressed past that point. We might be in slightly different time loops ourselves. We are. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't know how I did that. I'm sorry. That's all. <laughs> um, no, that's okay. It's kind of funny. But yeah, so but this is what we've. Cause, okay, so good thing you saw the film last week. I guess that we can at least talk about these ones enough, right? Okay. So should I go with the ones I've seen, or should I just take my cue from what you're saying about the ones I shouldn't take seen? Take cue from. Okay. If possible, take the key from what I'm saying. If, if that's, oh, I, I don't know how I. I'm sorry. I don't I, know what's happening. We'll just be there. very detailed, so you can yeah, I can't. The scenes. <laughs> I can't imagine how you keep track of. Um, we can. I mean, there might be a way. Now, I'm, I'm trying to think if there's a way of sending your transcript over, Robert. Or I mean, I think I think the best I can do is when we get to specific moments, I can even just use my screen recorder and play the clips. Back. If necessary, yeah. And we can't, we can't talk about the ones that I, we can't talk about well, the ones that I've seen. Well, we can a bit, because the listeners have yeah, heard it. Yeah, because like. the whole sequence with Kit Kat kind of ties together, so it's worth talking about as a whole as well. Yeah. So it's only like a step later. It sounds like you're just, you're starting maybe as I've finished, in terms of what I've yes. seen. Yeah. We did those yesterday. <laughs> right. Oh, okay. <laughs> You've literally already done them. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I don't know. I'm genuinely confused how I've done that, because my schedule's normally so... Okay. Well, we'll see how it goes. As I said, if you know, they're only minute-long clips, so we can, if it gets complicated, we can send them. And okay, so so just so just remind me what story-wise, what has happened then? So she's come. So she's just come back from the New Year's party. Yes. And oh, that's right. She, yeah, go on, Karen. Just come out the cupboard, and 
Well, they're inside the cupboard, and Tim continues what he said at the end of 85, saying, It occurred to me that I might lose you. Brace yourself, this could be weird. Things have changed. And she's back in modern day, yes. and basically realises that she's with Jay now. Yes. And he's like, JJ, and he's like, yes, and um, he's adorable. And this is just the bit that confuses me, because in a moment, we find out that his child has changed, but if Kit Kat has got the memory of what's new, then why doesn't Tim? Why doesn't Tim realise? Mind you, doesn't she only realise when she kind of sees Jay anyway? Doesn't she? Am I wrong about misremembering that? It, in the cl- in still in the cupboard, she realises it's Jay that she's with. Right. Oh, okay. She re- only reacts to him once they're outside, and she's hesitant about it, because the implication is she can remember both versions of events. Yes, and he can't. It's a terrible film! And None of it makes any sense. <laughs> We can assume at this point that Tim can remember multiple versions of things, otherwise he wouldn't have been able to meet Mary three times. He would have to remember the version he went back and erased. Yeah. In order to The only get out I can think of with this is maybe she's trying to force herself to think of these things. And Tim's mind is on other things when he first goes to see Posey. But still I feel like he would recognize the boy. Or we let it off the hook because it's not a science fiction film. Sure. (laughs) We can yeah. do that. Yeah, um, it, it, it's. I suppose there are going to be little plot holes at some point, aren't there? Because... Yes. Yeah. I mean, as I said, there's there's no real point in spending so much time on the plot holes because you just if you want to take the film apart, it will fall apart in your hands. But where's the fun in that? <laughs> you know, I, the only reason I've opened with this is because I hinted at it last episode that I had a problem with this, and now I've got that out of the way. We can talk about the nice stuff. I'll, I'll never be able to watch that scene again now without considering it. Yeah, so I, I, I was stumped by the how he knew to hold hands and go back moment because that was a bit a bit out of yeah. the blue. But again, it's like his, totally... Yeah, I mean, part of me, because I've thought this through quite a bit, like he, it technically could work because she was there in both of those points in time. Yeah. But the fact that he knows it would work, it's just... Mm. I don't know. I, I, my, my only worry is it, it, it works well enough within the film, but it's almost such a risk in breaking the rules that have already been set. Mm. And it's like, is it better with what it does to Kit Kat's arc, or is it worse for what it does to the rules of time travel? And, I'm... and him knowing how to do it could have been fixed with one line of dialogue where he's like, let's see if this works. Yes. And then he grabs her hands. Yeah. Like, he's not sure. Instead, he just does it. Yes, yeah. And maybe there was a line. Maybe, you know, these things get... I, I, it's a slightly different thing, but a lot of my projects were constantly balancing, uh, how much of the kind of behind the scenes logic to make sure is very clearly in place for the viewers when you, a lot of the stuff I do involves big sort of like Truman Show style experiments. People don't yeah. know they're going through things. So there's a lot of stuff that's going on behind the scenes to make things fall into place with the person, but you have to draw a line. How much of that do you explain? Because at some point, you know, the, the narrative ultimately is, is what's important. But then when those things are missing or, you know, you, then people go, oh, well, it must be all, must be all fake because that, how did you know that, that, <laughs> yeah. and there are answers to all those things. It's just how much of that you want to, you want to explain. So I, I can sympathize with the, um, you know, getting ahead with the, with the sweep of the story. But look, it didn't occur to me. Maybe, uh. Yeah, as I said, it's only occurred yeah. to me in this level of stuff. Like, well, there you when go. watching it, I've never had a problem <laughs> with it. It's yeah. only when looking specifically at this scene without well, with the context of the rest of the film, but individually mm. in these past couple of weeks that I've gone, that's a bit odd. But we have the beautiful sound of the music Spagel and Spagel kicking in again mm. when they go back yes. in, which incidentally is a piece of music which is exactly the same forwards as it is backwards. Ah, mm-hmm. well, that's very nice. 
I love the Ben Folds, The Luckiest, which is, that's like being one of my favourite pieces of music forever. I, I was on Desert Island Distant a while back, and it was one of the ones I chose. And I forgot, every time I watch this film, I forget that it's in it. It gets me every uh, time. Of course, it's the first thing you hear, isn't it? Um, yeah. Got it. Yeah, the one that's... that works for me, like, I love The Luckiest. The one I slightly prefer is Gold in Them Hills that we get in that montage later on, when he's learning to live each day oh, twice. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but that's... I don't know, but I, th- I think both of those songs, like all these sort of uplifting pieces of music, I think, as I said last week, Robert, like, I think now is a better time than ever to watch this film. Like, because it's yeah. just got that comfort about the beauty in, in life that I think we need more than ever. People don't want dark films right now. People want a warm hug, and that's what Richard Curtis does. Yes, he does. He does that extremely well, doesn't he? And it's, it's, there's also just, you know, the, the taking comfort in the everyday and that, that, what I, what is so lovely about this film is how it starts off in one direction and ends up somewhere else, which I suppose is not that unusual, not unusual for a dramatic arc. I guess that's part of what you get. But it's the, the, so the first time I saw it, I had no idea where it, where it was going to go. And the enjoyment of how sort of oddly kind of low rent it felt in the best way, like a mm-hmm. little indie thing you'd stumbled across. And then you're going, hang on, is that Margot Robbie? Well, it's kind of that odd thing. And then the beautiful performances you fall in love with. And then introducing this time travel thing, and then how sort of whimsically it's dealt with, and then this beautiful endpoint that uh, I'd, I'd be fascinated to know whether the issue of losing a, a father or saying goodbye to a father was a was a was a thing um, behind the film uh, right. in terms of what was spurring. I believe that. that's what I've read, but yeah. I'm not 100 percent certain. But so yeah, so the dad greets Kit Kat and Tim as they leave the cupboard. He yes. says, come on, you two. Mum's just cracked open a packet of biscuits. He has another book, by the way. Yeah. He basically, every, t- books, isn't he? Yeah. every time we see the dad, he's got a different book, yeah. which is just... Because that's what he does brilliant. the time, Attention to detail. So then the mum's... So you just have the little bits of conversation there with mum saying, you do it, I've got something in mind for you. And Jay says, I know what you're going to say. Have a biscuit and come and help me, but leave the rest for Uncle D. It's just tied, and that's where our minute finishes. But I think before we go into 87... We should take a look at today's bad review for about time. Nice. We can give the bad review a bad review. This is suggested by our guest last week, and I think it's a great idea, so for the rest of the show we will look at these. These reviews are read for comic purposes, and other views of the reviewer, not the podcast host. The reviewer's name is removed to avoid any unnecessary hate or spamming. And now, on with the show. It opens with, disclaimer, I hate Richard Curtis films. I'd rather watch... Uwe Bull, Uwe Bull, Richard, Richard, stop listening uh, now. You don't want to hear this. <laughs> Uwe, entire Uwe back catalogue, Uwe Bull's entire back catalogue can be subjected to Love Actually again, and his other films, either as a writer or director, aren't a great deal better. Giving my disclaimer above, it probably comes as little surprise that I wasn't looking forward to watching his latest film. Sometimes low expectations can help a film, and other times those expectations prove to be a hundred percent correct. <laughs> About Time is a schmaltzy, wet blanket of a film that takes two torturous hours to get to the profound realisation that people should make the most of the time they have. No sh**, Curtis. Although the film may feature a sci-fi hook, we're still in typical Curtis territory with his fondness for bumbling t**ts and their American sweethearts. On his 21st birthday, Tim discovers he's inherited his father's gift to travel through time. All he needs is a dark space and clenched fists and he can travel back to any point in his own lifetime. Naturally, he uses this gift to get the girl of his dreams. This is a standard fare for Curtis as he vomits at his soppy and overwritten tripe. There's clearly a market for this brand of romantic comedy, but I find it unbearable and watch from the insincere grand declarations of love to the ob- 
obligatory quirky characters that populate his shitty little films. At least he's announced he's given up directing, so I don't have to sit through any more of this drivel. <laughs> Jesus. He does. It sounds like one of the least happy people I've. Yeah, I might. I might. It, it gets quite long, actually. So I'm going to probably just leave that. Yeah, there. leave that at a high point. It leave that like a person being most hasn't generous. Learned the lesson of the film. Yeah, no, I remember. I remember the last one that we, the one we looked at last week. People were commenting like, "Who hurt you?" Like it was just <laughs> brilliant. Um, so thanks to this random person on Letterboxd. Yeah, who was that? Was that, that wasn't a journalist? Was that just some? No, some... just a regular reviewer on Letterboxd. Oh, I see. Oh well. We should find a bad review by a professional next time. Hmm. Well, I, I don't know. Well, so, what was the general response to the film? I and mean, you can only take respons—you don't take responsibility for the kind of central swell of a bell curve when it comes to uh, what people make of your work. It, it, did it? It was mixed. It was mixed, which is why it was slightly under the radar. Is that it? It's it sort of yeah. Ah, it's, it's my, and I think my maybe the romantic comedy advertising didn't help right because it's so much more than romantic like it's about love but it's about family love and friendships as much as it's about romantic love mm. and i don't know i feel like maybe the romantic comedy advertising was in the hope of getting all of richard curtis's audience but instead kind of lost the other potential audience i, I think got. by 2013 the audience had moved on from that kind of romantic comedy right i've never they seen the more high concept yeah. silly ones right yeah oh okay maybe so it's yeah was it after it wasn't after Love, actually, was it? I presume it was. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was. Yeah. Oh, okay. About ten years after. Was it really? Oh my god, I'm ancient. All right. Okay. <laughs> you love wow. Love. For, wow. Just, just, just to, just for the final stab. Love actually was the year before I was born. <laughs> Unbelievable. You were literally gestating. Well, no. Yeah. How amazing. So I had. So just to say, I had Rachel McCann over for dinner with Michael Sheen. They were they were going out at the time, and Michael's a good friend. And I didn't know she was coming. He, um, so he emailed and said, I, I invited her for dinner. He sent an email saying, Oh, I'm going to bring Rachel. I missed the email. So I cooked just for him and me. And then he turns up with her. He turns up with her. So not only is this an unexpected dinner guest, I had no idea who she was at all. And of course, I'm doing the whole kind of, Oh, so what do you do? She said, oh, I'm, I'm an actress. Oh, okay, lovely. Which is what led me to ultimately to the film. So I have this sort of embarrassing, uh, <laughs> kind of thing that's still occasionally at 3am. So we had steak. Oh no, no, that's right. So I, I put these two steaks in. So I thought I, I better make myself something else and say that I don't eat meat. So I pretended to be vegetarian just so I could give them, just so I could give them the steaks while I had some old salmon. But yeah, she's super, yeah, she's vile and ugly. She's lovely. <laughs> she's, she's absolutely gorgeous. This that is definitely so the best anecdote we've had on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's that's it. I'm afraid, as, as far as the film goes. But yeah, he's uh, yeah. Should have saved it for Friday. <laughs> she's very very lovely, and we met we met again, and then I sort of apologised and got to explain it. But God, that still gets me. Yeah, Rachel, yeah. if you're listening in the morning, email in and tell us your side of the story. <laughs> yes, God, no, don't. Um. So yes, yeah, so yeah, so okay. I'm I'm catching up with the minutes. I uh, <laughs> I should have watched. So what happens next? They're out with Kit Kat and Jay and. Desmond are all out in the front garden. Is Desmond there? Sorry, I'm not even looking at the video. Desmond is there. <laughs> I should, I should have said, yes, Desmond's there. He's sitting with the mum and Jay, and Kit Kat hesitates, and then, as she does, runs over to Jay, which is nice. Um, and Kit Kat just, well, first, the mum continues saying, tidying, really, and then Kit Kat says hi, and Jay says hi. Are you alright? I missed you. Your mum wants me to do some gardening. And I mean, we've talked before about how weird a decision it is for her to go from Jimmy to the character who we literally hear being referred to as Dodgy J. Like, why is he the interesting, boring guy for her to... Yes, it's, a, it's slightly out of the blue. Yeah. Isn't it? 
there was something about the whole storyline with her that I didn't quite... I loved her at the start, as I guess everybody does. I mean, you know, she's such a lovely, yes. adorable character. And I liked, in retrospect, the way that you start to see her kind of start to sort of break down a little bit. You just get a sort of a whiff of it at the top of the stairs at one point, don't you? And then... Um, She's uh, the subway montage. Yeah, we get an idea something bad is happening. Yeah, that there's some, that something's wrong. But there was just... I think maybe it's the fact that her story doesn't... Apart from giving us the detail about you can't go back before the birth of your child, it somehow seems a, a, a thing that doesn't really help the story. And it's always sli- slightly left me cold. I always feel I haven't really connected with it as much as I feel that I... Uh, oh, no, he's on your side. Should. <laughs> See, I, oh, really? I, I love this sequence because I think its disconnect from the rest of the film works to the mm. theme of the film, which is he stopped paying attention to Kit Kat when he got a life. And so he missed. She was in London. She went back home and he didn't even know until he happened to see her there. And then suddenly she almost dies and he has to realize yeah. he needs to look after everything around him that he cares about. And you told us at the beginning of the film, she's one of his favorite things in the world. And so, Darren, I should now be sharing the screen, hopefully, so you can see the, the yeah. minutes as we go along. Yeah, That's she's... sort of the... the, the be- I'm, I'm so sorry for sending over the wrong minutes. I don't know how that happened. Yeah. <laughs> I have the most brilliant things to say about the other minutes. I hope, you really... well, we can... I hope your listeners will forgive say it. <laughs> yeah, you can still say it. The listeners will have heard last week, so they'll be interested probably to hear your... So what are, what are your thoughts on the kind of placing of, of women in this in this film? It's it bugged me on the last viewing of it, and I say all of this simply if Richards is listening. I adore it; it's one of my favorite films. So I kind of feel like I within myself I've I've earned it to sort of lean into slightly a couple of things that do bug me about it. Has anybody have you had this conversation about sort of a little bit? Yeah, it, and it's sort of all in Mary, isn't it? First of all, you've got that repeated sex scene, which is questionable i i guess and does even at the time i think strike an, an odd note for sort of both of them and then she sort of becomes and the sort of name mary as well is is that sort of slightly odd madonna whore thing going on but she's sort of she seems to be there to be this sort of perfect and therefore perfectly sexually available and make babies and and it's just a, it's a slightly it's a slightly odd slightly odd thing and it sort of also has echoes of the men know about the time travel and the women yeah. aren't sort of sort of aren't allowed to know have, have, is this a conversation you've had with anybody is it uh in, li- in little bits hmm. it's worse with charlotte but it's deliberate with charlotte with the fact that when yes. margot robbie steps out the car we see her legs first i think they've tried to not make it as sexualized with mary in the fact that we don't we hear her before we see her because in the dark restaurant yes but there's still definitely something, and I think it's just because Tim's the centre of the story that we don't get to see Mary outside of how Tim views her, I guess, that it yeah. it does make things a bit difficult. And I guess maybe part of it comes with the fact that, yeah, with the sex scene, it's, it's only a few hours after she met Tim. Mm. Tim's known her for days, but in Mary's mind, yeah, it is only a few hours after, and I'm, I'm wondering whether that may be sexualizes her character more than well it's 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 partly that because you get the mary versus charlotte like that kind of yeah and then you'd understand why she's mary why that makes sense she's called that you know you'd understand that but then yeah so there is the thing of like oh she's actually a bit more up for it than sort of uh we immediately expect there's also just the fact that he's repeatedly having sex with her without her knowledge which again just within the kind of the tonal thing which is so important isn't it with these kind of we, you know, romantic comedies. One thing we talked about with that is, since it's the third time they're meeting, it's like the movie's way of justifying 
him being able to just confront her on the third time and them having sex repeatedly is, it's already set up the fact that she likes him. Mm, mm. And so it makes it a little more acceptable as we're watching through. If we hadn't seen her like him first before he started using time travel, Mm. then it would have been really dodgy for him to use time travel to get with her. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's, it's odd. And I'm just, just looking at the, the, the minute we got, it's mostly just glimpses of conversation that we don't really need to talk about, about gardening and stuff like that, that comes on. But it's, it's also all the ordinariness, isn't it? That's what's so lovely. Yeah. The fact that there's this beautiful moment where she meets the guy she's actually been with and we get it and we like it and they're talking about gardening and, and it's, and that lovely sense of the, the, Loveliness in the ordinariness, which is, I guess, what he's doing in love, actually, as well. It's also a nice metaphor for what Tim just did. Yeah. He went and took out some of the dead stuff for the weeds. Kick yeah. Life. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So when they come back where we see Tim and Mary at home, uh, Mary asks, how did everything go? Tim says, immensely satisfactory. He says, I'm so happy. Uh, I want to hear all about it. Will you go to dinner for us? So we do dinner for us because there's something I have to do before six or I'll get fired. And Tim says, yeah, I can't think of anything I'd love to do more. Okay, where is the most fabulous person in the world? Come to your dad and get mashed up food shoved into your mouth. And we conclude this minute with um, him looking at Posey, who's clearly not yeah. Posey, which I think we discussed quite a lot earlier on mm-hmm. anyway. But I mean, yeah, Darren, what do you think of this whole twist about not going back before the conception? Because obviously it makes it sadder in the end with the dad, but... Um, I, I, I'm very happy to be in Richard Curtis's hands for all of this. I think, I think, uh, you know, it's, whether anything feels far-fetched is sort of irrelevant, you know, because we're just, we're, we're going along with this beautiful story. That doesn't bother me. I took me a moment to get the point that this was the, <laughs> this was the wrong baby, I have to say, the last time I watched it. So it was one of those big moments that I thought, I, I, I don't know what, I don't know what's just yeah, happening. Because we haven't had much focus on the look and on oh. looking at Posey beforehand. Ex- exactly, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It makes sense. Just, that was just terrible on my part, but, um, that, that, that I got it like a, a moment afterwards. But no, I'd buy that. I mean, you need, you need it, don't you? And I suppose it's, that's what puts the, the structure in place that allows him to, you know, make his decisions and eventually, uh, break free of it and get to that point of learning. If it wasn't for this fact that he couldn't go back before the birth, then uh, it would all just remain sort of open-ended. It would never funnel into any kind of resolution at all. Hmm. So have we got any concluding thoughts on this minute before we wrap up this Monday episode? No. Well, I'm still catching up with which minutes we're talking about. So that... So that <laughs> yeah, sorry. I, I, yeah. Can, I, can, I mean, I can, I can try and even now send yeah, the minutes on, over to you in Skype or something. So we can. So you've at least got them at hand. So at least I've seen them. Yeah. I'm genuinely surprised. Part of me surprised that I've I've managed to go this far in the show before. Me too. Me too. Before sending the wrong minutes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, have you done this with your shows before, Robert? Or I've recorded out of order, which is just as confusing. And with with Dave made a minute once, I got recordings back from someone, and I didn't know I had sent them episodes to do. Like, I had no email record of it. I'm like, okay, cool. Three episodes. I'll send you 88 the next minute we talked about. The next minute, yeah, yeah, great. That makes sense. And and I'll send 89 over shortly after. But we can, just before we look at these, where can our listeners find you on social media, Darren? I am at Darren Brown uh, on Twitter. That's D-E-R-R-E-N. And I'm the same on Instagram. (laughs) Pretty pretty straightforward. They don't have to look very, very far or hard. But that's it. Yeah, beyond that, I'm uh, I th- I'm on Facebook as well, but it's like an official thing that I don't really have much to do with. But uh, 
but yeah, so I, I, I would recommend Twitter or Instagram. And Robert, where can listeners find you? Robert E.G. Black on social media or my website, lemmingdrops.com. And the listeners can find me on Twitter at llama underscore bottle zero. They can find me on Instagram at the Ginger Luke, on Facebook at Luke Allen Film. All podcasts, radio appearances, newspaper articles, short films, anything I'm remotely involved in is at Luke Allen for KDK. And this podcast is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Two Mins About Time. They can also join our Facebook group to discuss everything to do with the podcast and About Time, entitled The Cupboard. Thanks so much to everyone for listening. Darren, do you know any interesting ways to say goodbye to conclude Monday? Ah, well, let's all live Monday again and again and again, and pay attention to what we're doing. I think it's, uh, I think it's a very good thing to be breaking something like this down, just aside from the filmic aspects of it, um, just to really ponder and essentially meditate on these, uh, on these themes. Not the themes of little, you know, logical bumps and things, you know, having the joy of pulling something joyous apart, but the, uh, the, the, the bigger picture. It's a lovely thing. So, uh, goodbye and tune in next time. The Two Minutes About Time theme is performed by Ethan O'Mahony and is a cover of the About Time theme originally composed by Nick Laird Close. Two Minutes About Time is a production of Lemming Drop Studios in association with Bottle O Productions. Mm-hmm.